with all the fall leaves and, and the weather. It's just been, just been wonderful. So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Casey was up here and he was talking about the opportunities that we have here at Oasis, and one of them is with our children and youth ministry. And he asked his daughter, Jordan, for some advice, and, and um, she said, you know, the thing I miss most about Sunday morning are the donuts. And I said, amen to that. So David is a great example there of what is a bad diet, but, <laughs> but, but, everyone can use, there they go, there they go, can use some donuts. Um, I think this morning someone walked in and I heard a nice shrill. They're just so excited to, to see the donuts that they were shrieking with joy. Um, so I'm so glad to be able to provide that uh, tiny bit of comfort. <laughs> and, and what's great about you guys eating donuts is it's really going to wake you up. So if I, you know, there's no way I can bore you to death this morning because you're just going to be so full of energy um, so it's going to be a really fun service today. Um, and then about a week ago, Daryl uh, talked about some of the opportunities that we do here locally in terms of our outreaches. And there are two big ones that we really focus on, and one of them is West Fest, and that happens in June, uh, where we partner with the city, and they have a big carnival, and they have a bunch of booths, and... The times we've gone, we're like, man, there's nothing for the kids to do. There's a lot of vendors there, and they're selling a lot of products, but these kids are just like, they're just walking around aimlessly, or they're at the carnival doing the rides, and we thought, hey, let's provide something for these children. And so um, every year we go out there, and we have a craft booth set up where the kids can come and make capes, and then we give them comic book Bible um, books, comic Bible books, and we get to talk with their families and share the love of Jesus. Um, so that is fun to do. And our other outreach, which Lisa uh, talked about, is our trunk or treat. Just a great way to love locally, uh, to step out of ourselves and to just share the love of God. And, and as we experience Jesus and as we walk with him, as we, uh, as we learn to listen and obey, and as we learn to just lavish in his love, we just can't help, but it just oozes like out of us, right? His love just, just comes out. And we hope here to uh, be able to create these opportunities uh, where you can share that love in kind of a, an easy way, but also in a meaningful way. Um, so we want to meet people uh, wherever they're at, and, and, and that's fun. So I've already had first and second and third breakfast this morning. Um, so that's what this is all about. Uh, <laughs> but I'm starting to feel a little shaky, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through today really fast because I hear lunch calling. It's calling soon. <laughs> So part two of kind of doing outreaches or talking about outreach is moving from what we do here in a local setting to what we do abroad. And so I get the privilege of speaking to you about this thing we call missions and mission trips. And if you've been with us for a while or if you've been attending church for a while now, there's always that sermon on going on a mission trip, right? So I'm sure you've heard it plenty of times, so I'll try not to bore you today. Um, but I kind of want to touch on kind of just a part of it, and I don't want to dwell too much on mission trips, but um, I believe it is something that uh, whenever someone says, hey, do you want to go do something? Like when they ask me that question, I go, yeah, I totally want to do it. So when somebody says, hey, do you want to go out of the country or, or do a mission trip? to, you know, someplace in Africa, I'm like, yes, yes, I want to do that. And then, and then I see pictures like this, and I go, oh, it's so, they're so cute. Of course I want to go. And then I hear the stories of people having amazing adventures, doing weird things and getting on weird 
tractors and stuff, and I go, oh, that looks, that looks really fun. Um, this is us on our way to a village in Battambang, Cambodia, and you, it was really rainy that day, so they didn't want us to drive in the van, and so we had to hop on the back of this tractor, and you can see us holding on for dear life. We're hoping that Lisa won't fall off. Um, and it was really fun. We kind of just went way f out there. Um, it took a good half hour on this tractor, and then we come to this beautiful little village, and there is a church there. And it's moments like those that you're like, yes, I am so glad that I am a part of this. So back to mission trip. What about you guys? How many of you guys have been on a mission trip? Uh, at least one. At least one. Hey, that's pretty good. How about two? Yeah. Stand up if you've gone to five. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how about seven? Seven trips. Yeah, ten. Ten? Ten. Thirteen. Fifteen. Twenty. Stopped counting. So it's between Rich and Pastor Daryl here. They've gone on the most mission trips. They go probably annually. So because Daryl talks too much anyways, let's listen from Rich. We'll have Rich come up here. Uh, so please welcome Rich. He is going to talk about uh, partnerships and Mexico missions. I wouldn't count all those trips that Daryl calls mission trips, <laughs> legitimate mission trips. I mean, <laughs> anyhow, this is show and tell. A couple of weeks ago, I asked on the city uh, if anybody had a mixer, and they asked what kind. Well, this is the kind. I didn't know what it was. Awesome. Needs met. Okay, so the, uh, the vineyard movement has always had a very prominent international dimension to its outreach and ev evangelism. The primary channel for this international ministry is through partnerships where two or more churches commit to work together to impact other countries by means of aid, church planting, and leadership training and development. Vineyard International currently has churches in over 60 countries worldwide. Um, some of the countries are Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Sri Lanka, um, recently when um, Obama opened the doors for Cuba. Our, our uh, Puerto Rico partnership moved into Havana, Cuba. Um, uh, Afghanistan. Um, and then these guys go to Q or, uh, Cambodia, and we go to Mexico. And there's three different partnerships that go to Mexico. Um, we do the part here on the, uh, those, those main three cities there. Um, most of our churches are uh, in the uh, Nogales area, which is just south of uh, Arizona. And then uh, also in Los Mochis area, that's where El Chapo was big. Um, and then uh, in, Gu in Guaymas, we've so, I don't know, to simplify this, it's, our, our outreach there, this church, has been kind of erratic. Um, but about 17 years ago, we started going down on a regular basis. Um, I had a couple of kids, Caleb and Susanna, who were youth leaders, and they, uh, they uh, uh, said, let's make this a church project or a youth project. So we started going down every year in June and then we also started building. Um, can I sit down here? Yeah. I haven't, I haven't had three breakfasts oh, this morning, okay. just coffee. <laughs> um, Let me sit down. So, 
over the years, we started building a dormitory down there, and we finished that about 10 years ago, I guess. So when we go down, we stay in this town and do outreaches from there. This past year, we did eight different locations in various parts of Nogales or other cities or nearby. Um, and uh, year before, we had a bigger group, and we took... Uh, we did about 15 different locations. We were recognized by the, the mayor of Nogales, had our pictures in the Nogales paper. Um, so they appreciated, they appreciate what we do down there. And what we do every year is different. Uh, depends on who's going. Um, sometimes, I mean, early on, we'd take a worship team down. Um, a lot of you guys have gone there. Some people go just once, um, and that's okay. Some people, like Kathy and Terry and Phil, have gone uh, uh, many times, and that's good. Uh, somebody like David's only been once, but it was very memorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, the most memorable ones are the ones where we had the breakdowns and the flat tires and and people sneaking over the border. Um, <laughs> um, uh, now, when, when she asked how many times somebody's gone down, I've been, next month I'll be going down for the seventh time this calendar year down to Mexico for various reasons. Um, sometimes somebody gives a car, Andrew Ashby, when he moved from here last year, he donated to Suburban, so I took that down. Um, Terry, Terry Hahn uh, donated this mixer because one of the pastors down in Los Mochis asked if, he, if we had a mixer he could use, and uh, I'll be seeing him next month in Zacatecas. So, um, so where do we go? Who goes? I, I, um, generally, every year we've gone down at the end of June for a week. Uh, we were doing two weeks for a time. We started a girls' camp down there. Uh, I know Terry and Kathy and I think Lisa helped out on that for a year or two. Um, um, as I say, we've, we've built the dormitory. Another time, uh, we went down to Los Mochis area and took two trips to... Uh, build a church down there for them. Um, in June, we do outreaches to the youth uh, in the in the churches and in the neighborhoods. So, um, I mean, question of why do we do this? Well, I don't really know. I, uh, it's something I didn't design, but it's kind of what God called us into, and and. Uh, I think one thing, one point I'd like to make is that uh, sustainability is, is important. Uh, it's, to go on one mission trip and leave it there, you're not going to see much, uh, or you may not hear of much results. I, would, I know coming back from some of these trips, a couple of my daughters would say, why do we keep going back down there doing the same thing? We don't see any changes. Well, we're not the ones to really determine that. And uh, one thing I do know is, do you, have, do you have the picture of the people there? Yeah. The guy in the red shirt and the lady over on the right side, that's Tommy and Renee. They started, they're from Canyon City. They're, they're the ones, we partner with Canyon City as part of the, um, that's Colorado, um, as part of the, uh, our partnership to Mexico. And uh, about five years ago, they, came with the Canyon City group to our regular June project, and then um, they kept coming. And uh, one time, Renee stayed after and did the girls' camp, and she hit it off really well with the girls. She still sees them. Um, last January, they were called by God to quit their jobs over in Canyon City and move to Guaymas, Mexico, and uh, be become uh, missionaries out there. And that's pretty important for us because now we got some real vineyard people 
um, who are interested in planting churches down there. And they're a good contact. They're situated nicely between the Gallets and Los Bochis, uh, where we have the churches. And they're not our churches. On, we adopt, they were adopted into Lavinia, uh, which is vineyard, Mexico Vineyard. So eight minutes up yet? I, just turn off. Um, <laughs> I forgot to tell you, turn it off at eight minutes. <laughs> and don't start that eight minutes now. I can't talk very long. Um, so anyhow, that uh, their missionary work kind of grew out of what we've been doing over these years and uh, just going back. And we've got good friendships down there and... Uh, Uh, this summer, I don't expect it's going to be uh, the way it was in the past. There was, I was the only one to go down uh, from this church, and only a couple people from Canyon City went down. But we had 18 Mexican youth came over to the dormitory and stayed with us. And that's kind of the direction we're going to go in. And, and this summer, I hope to bring in somebody who can kind of turn it into a, a youth camp and provide some teaching for these Mexican youth and help develop their leadership qualities. Um, um, so, um, and that Renee, the lady on the right up there, um, she's very ambitious that she's got plans so that she, she comes up to Nogales to do the, or to, um, San Lazaro to do the, um, the outreach that we do. And then, uh, and then from there, sh she wants to have a team come down and take them down to Los Bochis the next week. And then the week after that, she'll, she'll return that team uh, to Tucson Airport and, and then have another team meet her and take them down to Guaymas to do outreaches there. So she's got three, three or four weeks of very active uh, plans and uh, it's possible that some people from here will participate in those so anyhow I hope to have a um, um, a meeting probably in January because we have to plan these things well in advance for something like this so I'll probably have an information meeting in January if anybody becomes interested in doing any of this stuff as I say I've been down uh, <coughs> this will be uh, I think I'm losing my voice. Um, if I was just going to say, if anybody wanted to go down, when I go down there for you know the various reasons, they're welcome to go, and just have to pay for airfare on their own and and uh, lodging and stuff. So, okay. Great. Thank you. It's so encouraging to hear what uh, God can do. And I, I didn't know that it was uh, Rich's two daughters who kind of encouraged them to continue to go every year. Um, so even children, youth, I mean, you guys are major catalysts in kind of just listening and, and partnering with God. And that's, that's really cool. Um, and one thing I know our youth is really good at is doing youth camp. You guys are like the pros at doing youth camp. So here's an opportunity uh, next summer, hopefully, to go down there and show them how it's done. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah? <laughs> All right, well, just think about it. All right. But again... Um, besides Mexico and Cambodia, I know that seems so far away, and it can be hard uh, to think about and do those things. Um, we also do Operation Christmas Child here, which is another way of, of um, investing um, kind of in the world around us uh, by just loving kids. And so on November 11th, we're going to be packing uh, those uh, boxes full of love, and sending it out to children everywhere. So if you can't uh, see yourself going on a mission trip quite yet, um, 
at least see yourself staying about an hour after service <laughs> to pack these boxes. Um, and it just takes one little step at a time. Um, and then you never know. You just never know where God takes you. Um, but back to this, you know, sometimes when uh, people ask me to go on a mission trip, I'm always like, yes, because I love traveling. I love seeing the world and um, how awesome it is to be able to leave Salt Lake City, go see a part of the world that is different, um, and then at the same time be able to share about Jesus to whoever you see. Um, so it's like two great things done in one swoop. Um, I don't know about you, but something happens to me. Um, I am quick to be like get really excited about something. So, hey, Manera, do you want to go on a trip? Yes. Yes, I do. Absolutely. And then I start to think. And I think that's the problem. I start thinking. <laughs> if I would just stop there, I think it would be okay. But I start thinking, and I start getting a little worried. I don't know if I have the money. You know, you, you need money to fly to these places, or you need time. Um, I don't know if I'm going to like the food. Well, see, that's not a problem with me. I like food. But some of you guys are thinking, I, I've seen what they eat in Cambodia. <laughs> I don't think I can go. And then you're thinking, oh, I would love to go on a mission trip, but oh my gosh, this other person already signed up, and I don't get along with them at all. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe you just don't travel well. The thought of sitting in a car for 12 hours on a bumpy road, maybe you'll have air conditioning. That doesn't sound good at all. Um, and so maybe you're thinking, I, I don't want to do that. Or you feel inadequate about sharing the gospel. Um, you just don't think... You can do that. Um, some of you young people, you're still in college. You're kind of worried about taking some time off. You feel kind of just, you're just too young or, or, you're, or, or fear. That plays a big role in stepping outside of this country, right? There's a lot of scary things happening outside. There are scary things happening inside. But fear that plays a big role in your decision-making. Or, you know, giving up a summer to go down to Mexico. Oh, I'm going to miss my friends. I only have a couple of weeks of vacation. I really don't want to spend it down there. Um, maybe that's the problem. Or maybe you're thinking you're just kind of at the end. It's, you're just feeling a little too old. You're kind of just like staying home. I like staying home now. Um, I'm not that old, but I like it. <laughs> then I'm always wondering about who's going to take care of my dogs. You know, I, I just love those little, I mean, they're really mean dogs, and they're not very nice to people. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so there's always these worries. And the more you think about it, the more you're like, oh, no, I... My maybe someday is going to turn into a maybe never, right? You start to think about it more and more, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. And the thing about um, going on missions trips, and, and all, these, all these reasons are valid. I don't want to discount any of them, because they are important to think about, and they are important things to kind of figure out before you may go on a trip, okay? They're, they are valid reasons. But what I find happens, what happens to me is these reasons are all about me. I kind of lose sight about the invitation that God is extending to me to do this thing with him. And instead of me thinking about the kingdom and getting to do something that God is excited about, I'm stuck on myself. I mean, it's kind of like if your boss came to you and said, hey, uh, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? And in your head, you're thinking, oh, 
I don't have anything nice to wear. Or I don't, I don't think I want to drive that far to your house. We just don't do that, right? If someone important asks us to go out to dinner, we're, we're excited. This is somebody, I mean, my boss, wow, amazing. I'm going to try to get there. And I think a lot of times when God asks us to do things, we get kind of stuck on ourselves and we don't really ask the right question. I mean, this is God asking you, inviting you to something that is amazing. And sometimes we forget that it is God who is extending this invitation to you. what's great about God is his invitation is usually something really big, <laughs> or it seems really big to us, right? I mean, there are little things that we read and little things that we learn on Sunday mornings, and yeah, great, I'm all for it, I'm going to follow. But then sometimes God asks us to do these things that seem ginormous. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a while now, you will come to discover this. (laughs) He doesn't just leave us to the little things. He calls us to things that are bigger than ourselves. And as we learn to follow Jesus, and when I say follow, what I want to emphasize is as we learn to listen to his voice and to obey his call, that's really when... You know, the rubber meets the road. Learning to follow Jesus. Learning to listen and to obey. Um, If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open that up to Exodus. I kind of want to talk about a few people um, who were called to do things that are bigger than themselves. And remember, God's a big God. So don't um, be surprised when he asks you to do something that you think is just too radical, too far out there, because he's going to do it. So in Exodus chapter 3, we find ourselves um, getting to know uh, this man named Moses just a little bit more. Um, So Moses, if you don't know... um, He was a Hebrew, and he was kind of raised in Egypt, and he was raised um, in in Pharaoh's household. And as he grew up, he noticed that his fellow um, Hebrew friends and his uh, people, in a sense, were being uh, oppressed. And he got into a tiff one day with an Egyptian and a Hebrew, and he ended up murdering the Egyptian. And he was afraid to be caught, and so he ran away, and he, his life changed. And he um, found uh, that he needed to have uh, kind of a new life now. And so he started herding flock for a man who would soon be his father-in-law. And so he is out there um, just tending to the flock. And here in chapter 3, we read, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then God said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. 
Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and have also seen, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And if you continue to read, it's interesting, you'll see this dialogue between God and Moses. And I find this story just fascinating, amazing. I mean, here's Moses. He's out just doing his work. God appears. Um, his voice is heard. He sees this bush that's burning but not burning. And he's having this dialogue with the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. And God asks him to go save the Israelites. First of all, we see the compassion that God has on a group of people. And when God invites us to things, that is really the why behind it. There are people out there who God has great compassion for. And he is calling us, he is inviting us to come participate and setting people free, and showing them uh, what freedom is. And like Moses, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if I am as bold as Moses and being like, oh, I, I, if you keep reading, Moses is like, no, I can't go. They're not going to believe me. There's no way I can go to Pharaoh and, and, and say, hey, God said you got to let all your workers leave. You know, you can just, the, the innocence in, in what he's saying, I mean, it's, it's true, but he's saying that to Almighty God. And so God understands. And he says, don't worry, I'll give you a sign. Um, you know, the staff in your hand, throw it to the ground. It becomes a snake. Pick it up. It becomes a staff. That, that will work. I don't know about you, but that might work today. <laughs> you know, and then, and then Moses is like, oh, that's cool. But I don't know. I don't know if that's enough. So then God's like, well, um, if you go to the Nile and you take some water out and you pour it out, it's going to turn to blood. That is pretty neat. And then Moses is like, oh, that's getting better. That's a cool trick. But I don't know. And God's like, okay, how about another sign? Put your, put your hand in your cloak and pull it out, and it's, and it's going to be leprous, gross. And then you put it back in, pull it out, and it's going to be all healed. That's a big deal. And Moses is like, yeah, yeah, that seems kind of, that's pretty good. And then we go on to chapter... Let's see here. Chapter 4, verse 10. So here's Moses' response. He's like, yeah, that's cool that you could do all those things and I can show everybody, but, but Lord, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servants, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So Moses is saying, basically saying, you know, I don't speak well. I am really slow. I do not feel like this task is for me. And the Lord says to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and God says this to Moses. He's speaking right to that fear that Moses has. And he says, I will be your mouth 
and teach you what you shall speak. I don't know about you, but I think that would be enough for me, right? He's going to take care of where I'm lacking. But then Moses says, oh, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. Wow. May our, our maybe someday becomes maybe never because we're kind of stuck looking at ourselves. Um, so God gets a little angry, but he's like, okay, fine. I'll send your brother with you. He can help you out. So kind of what we learn is that um, Moses finally decides to listen and obey. And through that, we learn that um, the inadequacies that he felt, um, God relieves. So those who listen and obey, those who listen and obey will have their inadequacies met. Um, another story I want to jump to real quickly is Esther. Um, so many of you guys are probably already familiar with her story, but she um, is a Jew, and she married a king from a foreign land. She was uh, held captive, her and her people, and then um, through some circumstances, she married the king. And this king is an interesting king. I don't know. If he just does whatever other people say. And so a decree went out that all the Jews would be executed. And she herself was a Jew. And her cousin, uh, through a messenger, said, Hey, uh, I don't know if you've heard, <laughs> but the Jews are going to get killed. All of your people are going to be executed. You need to go talk to the king. And so she, of course, is like, wait, 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 wait. So in chapter 4 of Esther, you can read about it. She's like, wait, 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 wait. I can't go talk to the king. He has this rule. If you can't just approach him. Um, if you do approach him and he doesn't want you there, he kills you. Right? And Mordecai is like, oh, but honey. <laughs> You do know that you're a Jew, right? You can't escape this wrath. So if you don't do it, I mean, you're going to die anyway. I mean, the risk is just as high, whether you go or not. And so what we learn from Esther is that when we learn to listen and obey, sometimes it takes great risk. But what I love about Esther is uh, when you keep reading, you'll see that she tells Mordecai, okay, but I need for you to come. I need for you to gather people, and I need for you guys to pray. Spend three days in fasting and prayer. And so sometimes when God invites us to go do things, sometimes it does feel big. Sometimes it requires a lot of sacrifice. And for us, it's not, there's not too much risk of life and death. But that, that alone is enough for us to um, be really afraid. And what we learn from Esther is that, yes, you're taking a lot of risk, but what he wants from us is to go to our brothers and sisters and have them pray for us. Because sometimes we, can't do it, we cannot do it on our own. We need others to pray for us. Uh, the last person I want to talk about uh, real quickly um, is Apostle Paul. Um, here in this map, you kind of see as he begins his missionary journey, um, he is kind of up on the right side in Antioch, and he's ministering to um, kind of that area over there. And he makes his way to Troas up there, and there he gets a call, um, kind of like a vision of needing to go up towards Philippi or Philippi. I don't know how you'd say it, but it's crossing that body of water into this, uh, in, into Europe. And he, he, hasn't, he hasn't ever, like, gone that way before. So I can sense that he's probably like, hmm, that's interesting. But what's, what we see about Paul is he is good at listening and obeying. So he hears uh, this call to cross the water, and he meets up. Um, there in Philippi with a group of women who used to be Jews, 
or used to be Gentiles, and they converted to Jews. And he gets to speak to them about Jesus. And they all convert, and here we have a church plant. And as Paul continues to do his ministry work, he gets arrested, as you may know. Um, he's sent to Rome, and he is, he is there, and he writes um, the letter as we, that we know as Philippians. Have any of you guys read Philippians from like chapter 1 all the way to, I think there's only four chapters, all the way through? If you have not, that is the one thing I would encourage you guys to do this week, is just read Philippians. Um, it's, it's a precious book. It's uh, very poetic. It's very life-giving. Um, just picture yourself as this church plant. Um, and here is Paul writing a letter to you. And what I want to do is quickly read what he says So if you would turn to Philippians chapter 3. And the thing we learn about Paul is he is um, he's a very he's a well-accomplished person. Um, so in chapter 3, he kind of talks about all the things he's done. And he says this. He says in verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we, are the, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So right here, Paul is going to start listing all the things that, um, all of his accomplishments, all the all of the things that makes him a pretty good person. In verse 5, he's circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee at, oh wait, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then in verse 7, he says, look, I have all of these attainments, I mean, I could have been the best of the best. And he's basically saying he really is the best. But in verse 7, he goes on to say, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. And indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So what we learn here from Paul is that this is a guy with great status. And as he learns to listen and obey God, he realizes that everything he has is meaningless. Meaningless in the sense that it is not as valuable as Making God famous. Making himself famous is just not as meaningful. It's not as rich as when he is making God famous. So Paul gives up his glory for God's glory. That's got some weird noises going on. <laughs> the seagulls are coming. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, kids, there's kids out there doing weird noises. Kazoos, okay. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's them, right? We always have to think about, you know, well, what about us? What about us? Um, I remember my first time going to Cambodia. I was 18, and I just graduated high school. And at the time, I was very, you know, zealous. I, I loved talking about Jesus. I loved witnessing to my friends. And going to Cambodia 
sounded just amazing. Um, it was my first time. My parents haven't been back for a good 20 years. And so they decided maybe it was time to go back to the homeland. Um, my father's uh, family, his mother, brothers and sisters were all still there. And so they thought, let's just take a family vacation. Uh, we'll just we'll go on vacation and we'll see Cambodia. Um, so this is in the year 2000. So that was about 18 years ago. And I remember... Um, I remember one point, uh, I've, been in, I've been there three weeks. And you have to know that uh, Cambodia at that time was very, it was rough. There wasn't any paved streets. Uh, the village we were staying at, um, I was in a wooden house. So I slept on hardwood floors. Uh, the mosquitoes were vicious. <laughs> uh, my grandma there, she didn't have a refrigerator. Um, there was an outhouse. Um, you kind of just cooked your daily meal. There wasn't a shower. There was just this big vase, and you kind of just, you know, dumped some water on yourself to bathe. Um, so at three weeks in, I remember sitting out in the hammock, and I just started journaling. And there was a line I wrote in there about how... I felt like I lost everything. <laughs> I'm being dramatic, right? Because I did, I, you know. But at 18 and not having any of the comforts that I was used to, I felt like I lost everything. I didn't have any. Why am I here? These mosquitoes are killing me. I can't speak the language. Like, I can understand the language, but I couldn't communicate. But um, I found peace in that the next line I wrote, I lost everything, but I have gained so much more. Because uh, what happened in that trip, it wasn't meant to be a missions trip, but it became that way. Um, I found joy in the places where you didn't think joy could exist. I saw it in the eyes of the children. I saw it in um, the eyes of the uh, just adults. There was such contentment. And from that trip alone, um, I've noticed my life kind of just transformed. Um, and I've learned to become content in all things. I've learned to find peace and joy in the midst of hard circumstances. And see, when God invites us to things... It's because we sing songs like oceans. <laughs> Take me deeper, Lord. <laughs> and when he invites you to go deeper, that's what happens. We go deeper with him. Uh, we get to participate in what God's doing, but then he does something for us. And the fruit of his spirit begins to grow in us, this love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Those things happen when we say, Yes to the invitation. So I'm going to have the worship team come up. Um, so these are kind of things that happen when we listen and obey. And I think that's pretty cool that God makes a way for transformation to take place, and he uses missions to do that. Um, this next photo is uh, the leaders. Um, on the left side, uh, these are the pastors in Cambodia. and They're about the same age as Jacob and I. And I have to say, I mean, they, they really learn to listen and obey. Uh, they live in a country that's 97% Buddhist and about 0.4% Christianity. I mean, you got to imagine, you're going against the grain daily. You have family members who are not yet saved. Uh, it's pretty rough. It's tough. But they learn to listen and obey. And, and the picture on the right is... Uh, an upcoming leader, uh, he, his name is Petra, and he helps with the college ministry um, that my mom runs uh, for uh, the city of uh, Phnom Penh. She invites um, these college kids to come. Um, she provides a dorm for them to stay so they can learn, um, uh, learn about the Bible and help disciple them. 
through this time of their life. And she's been doing that uh, for the past uh, five years now, and that most of them are graduating. Um, and then she felt the call that God was asking her to extend this discipleship program. And so the next round of young adults that are going to be headed to Phnom Penh, um, there's going to be about 17 of them. So <laughs> what started off with just a handful has now um, more than doubled. And at first, she was quite frightful. Um, you can imagine uh, you know, taking some kids out, um, providing the finances for them, and discipling them. Um, it's a, quite a big task. Um, but my mo- mom is... Uh, She prays about it, she listens, she obeys, and she's excited that God has invited her um, to help raise kind of the next generation of leaders. Um, And I think that's kind of um, what God does, is he just continues to invite us to things that are bigger than ourselves. And, And if we can just get over ourselves, uh, we may find um, that it's definitely meaningful, definitely worth it to just follow him and see where he takes you. So um, we're going to go ahead and uh, take, some, take, take some time to kind of respond. Um, we'll have our ushers come here uh, and collect the connect cards and the offering. Um, so you can respond by filling out those connect cards and, and putting in your request. Uh, you can put in your offering in there. Um, just thank you for your generosity and, and remember how generous God was to you. Um, you can respond by taking communion in the back, uh, just remembering uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And this next song... Um, It's a good one to end on, actually, because it reminds us of God's grace. And and what I love is is knowing that sometimes things are difficult and sometimes things are hard. And for me, going on a mission trip to Cambodia just about every year can be difficult. But I find that every time I go, God gives me the grace that I need. And so what I want you to hear this morning is whatever he's calling you to do, whatever he's calling you to step into, he will provide that grace for you. Um, And then some of you guys here might have like so many options, and they're good options, and you don't know which one you're supposed to um, take. You don't know which, which opportunity out there is for you. And what's great about the church body and our brothers and sisters here is we wanted to be there to help you discern what that is. Um, so we'll have the prayer team up here. So if you are in a, um, a situation right now in your life where you just don't know what to do, I would invite you to come and get prayer during this next song. Okay? All right. <laughs> 